It's Monday, the 24th of November, 2008, and you're listening to The Secrets. Welcome to this podcast of The Secrets, the podcast for anyone who is serious about writing. The Secrets home can be found at www.stormwolf.com. For the next 15 minutes, we'll talk about writing and how to get you even closer to seeing your name on the spine of a book. Welcome. My name is Michael Stackpole, and I'm a New York Times bestselling author of science fiction and fantasy novels. I apologize for the echo in here, but I'm traveling through a rather large and rather empty warehouse. One of the real joys about being a science fiction writer is that you get access to certain things from time to time, and in my case, I've got access to a time machine here. So I've projected myself several years into the future. And you'll appreciate, for paradox reasons, I don't tell you exactly how far into the future, but it's within five years. And we're walking through a book publisher warehouse. The building is immense, as you can hear with the echo. And there are just shelves upon shelves upon shelves upon shelves where there's just nothing. Nothing here anymore. And the reason for that is that books have gone electronic. And people are reading off of electronic book readers. And this warehouse could be filled with a lot of different things. And it isn't because this publisher has gone broke. It's one of those things that is really, really scary. And I think if you looked at the turn of the previous century and you were looking at uh, you know, uh, buggy manufacturers and you thought that someday they would all be gone, well, here we are. This is the way it is with books, at least with the book warehouses. The book companies are uh, the, the the book companies are still out there. They're attempting to make a living, and they're finding that they're doing too little, too late. And I'll talk more about that as we go back into the studio, and I can uh, uh, update you to some current news stories. But this is the way of the future. Now, just so you know, just because the publishing companies are dead. It doesn't mean that publishing is dead. It doesn't mean that your dreams of having a book are dead at all. Matter of fact, this is a better time for you getting your name on the spine of a book, having books available, both print books and electronic books, and an opportunity for you to make more money than you ever have before. So this is absolutely great stuff. And we'll be back in just a moment if I can find my way out of here again. It is kind of kind of cavernous. I think actually all I have to do is turn left at the um, Ark of the Covenant because that was, that was just stashed over there. Um, and we'll be right back and I'll go into some facts and figures and we'll uh, talk about things. So thanks for joining me and we'll be right back. Boy, you know, that, that whole time travel thing, you get that kind of shiver going up and down your spine. But I am glad to be back in the studio and back in normal life, or at least back in, in here, so I can talk to you about what's going on. There are strict rules. You can't say much about what you see when you're in the future. Um, but Cubs fans, yeah, don't. Yeah, it's not pretty. All right. 
moving ahead, what I wanted to talk to you about was the future of the industry, since this is the third episode in our uh, Future of the Industry um, series. I haven't done a podcast for a while, and part of the reason that I haven't is because I've actually been working on the future. I alluded to this in the last podcast that came out in June, that I was working with a developer, Michael Zapp, to develop a an application, a product, that would go onto the iPhone and iPod Touch. And it has come out, it's been very successful, and I'll talk about that in just a minute. Um, let me go through some things that indicate why I think the publishers are in a lot of trouble here and why it suddenly becomes very important for you to pay attention to what's going on. Um, while I would love to say to everybody, hey, look, you know, just worry about your writing, I would not be being responsible if I didn't point out that there are, in fact, things that you have to watch out for in the publishing world just so you know that what you're doing and the direction you're taking is in fact correct. Because the last thing any of us wants to do is to amass a lot of work and have it turn out to be nothing. I also would like to give a shout out to everybody who's been working with NaNoWriMo, the National Novel Writing Month. In Second Life in our community, we have had a bunch of writers uh, who have just been grinding out incredible amounts of words. Uh, one of them by the middle of the month, uh, by about the 15th, had already hit the 50,000 word mark. And she was continuing on until she thought she was going to wrap her novel up in about 60,000 words or 62,000 words. So this is really cool. And there are a lot of people who have been working really hard for the last month. So while you're taking your time, while you're uh, going to let that novel percolate, and these are some other factors that you can take into account. Say, this is, I'm recording this on the 24th of November, and there are two interesting news stories that came through recently. And this is why, again, you have to look at this stuff right now. You have to look at what is going on. Uh, in a story, news story that came out over the weekend, um, Dateline Portland, Oregon, Barnes & Noble reported a larger-than-expected loss for the third quarter on Thursday and gave little indication the holidays would be much brighter. The bookseller said significantly lower customer traffic and spending at its stores drove down profits. Now, a chunk of this is going to be the economy, and we know that. People don't have any money to spend. They don't feel they've got any money to spend. They're saving up for Christmas. You see sales dips absolutely everywhere. Uh, literally on the iPod, we have seen some sales dips coming in because of the economy tightening up. But that is not the only reason. Books are basically overpriced. You're paying too much because of business practices, because of the way things are done. That has nothing to do with you, the end consumer. It has everything to do with the way accountants play with things to maximize profit and try and uh, keep uh, uh, stock prices up there. The second news item, and this one came out this morning, which I find absolutely fascinating, is this. And listen for these numbers in here because this is really, really important stuff. This is it, the, the title of this article is Random House to Digitize Thousands of Books, Dateline, New York. With ebook sales expanding at 
in an otherwise sleepy market, Random House Incorporated, that's the company that owns Bantam and owns Del Rey for the science fiction aficionados, it is in turn owned by Bartelsmann, which is a private German corporation and one of the three largest entertainment conglomerates in the world. Uh, Random House announced Monday that it was making thousands of additional books available in digital form, including novels by John Updike and Harlan Coben, as well as several volumes of the Magic Treehouse Children's series. Now, here's what's key. First of all, the Random House CEO, Marcus Dole, said, quote, More people every day are enjoying reading in the electronic format, and Random House wants to extend our reach to them with more of our books. End quote. The publisher, this is, what's, this is what I love, the publisher already has more than 8,000 books in the electronic format and will have a digital library of nearly 15,000. So what they're doing is they are almost going to double the number of books that they've already got in print. And just so you know, these books, they have not been making electronic uh, copies of books available except for the last five years. I think my Dragon Crown War series... Um, Dark Glory War, which is book one, and Fortress Draconis, which is book two, are not available electronically. But uh, When Dragons Rage and the Last and the and the Grand Crusade are available electronically, and those came out in 2002 and 2003. So it is like the last five six years that they have actually been making those. And and here again, just kind of weird, why they didn't bring the first two books out in electronic format, I don't know. And why they don't collect all four of them together into an omnibus volume that you could buy for less, that I also don't know. But here are some other interesting, uh, interesting numbers in this thing. Random House's Vice President for Digital Operations, Matt Schatz, said ebook sales have increased by triple digit percentages in 2008, thanks in part to Amazon.com's Kindle Reader, but he declined to offer a specific number. Now, here's an interesting thing. I got royalty statements for the first half of 2008, and I looked at them for the ebook sales on those two books. Uh, those two books combined sold 17 copies in ebook format. So basically, what this means is that, you know, triple digit increase? No kidding. If they were selling two copies and now they're selling eight copies, that's a fourfold increase. So that would be, what, 400%? So, you know, these are the sorts of things that, in fact, will happen when you're, when you're playing with statistics. But what is cool here is that Random House is beginning to realize that electronic books are going to be the wave of the future. Another note in this particular article, which is really kind of cool, is this. Ebooks remain a tiny part of the overall market, widely, widely estimated in the industry at 1% or less. Now, why is that significant? Well, give you a couple of things. One, I've been selling books and and uh, e stories off of my website for over a year now. Once a Hero, which is a novel of mine, came out in 1996. Uh, no, 96. Gosh, no, it came out in 1994. Okay, it came out in 1994. So we're talking a 14-year-old novel. Um, just in the last six months alone, sold 10 copies off of my website. So I'm outselling, with an older book, I'm outselling what Random House is selling off of their website or what they're accounting to me off of their website. So that's kind of a, that's a, that's a very interesting 
uh, interesting aspect there. And of course, once a hero only sells for four bucks, which means that there's not a, a price problem, whereas those books will sell for, I think, $5.99 or $7.99 in, in that format. A short story, which I have on my website, Perchance to Dream, which is related to that series of books, is priced at $3, and I've sold 18 copies of that. Now, here's what the interesting part about that is that at $3, I make as much selling one of those short stories as I do selling five of any of the novels. So it's a good time to be selling stuff electronically. Uh, everybody saves. You get a hold of material that you haven't seen before, and that's actually um, a good deal for consumers. And this ultimately is what electronic books in the shift are going to allow us to do. You will be able to get more work, you will be able to get better work, and you'll be able to get it faster. And again, here's how screwed up the current publishers are. And you're going to love this, okay? You've just heard them say, you've just heard Random House say that they're going to digitize thousands of books. So they'll do 7,000 books now to roll out over the next several months so they can tap into these things. I have been assured by my editor that, in fact, Random House is interested in picking up the books that they don't own the electronic rights to. There's three of my novels that, that would fall into that category. But a letter was circulated by another one of Random House's vice presidents out to agents. The current deal is really kind of interesting. Currently, if you have a book that they make available in electronic format, they will pay you half of the money they get. So it's a 50-50 split. Going forward, now that they know that there's an electronic book market, going forward, their offer is to pay you 25%. No, it doesn't make any sense, does it? Not at all. When there was no market, they'd give you half the money. Now that there is money coming in, they will only give you a quarter of what they get. And their reasoning, and I love this, their reasoning is in part that it's not as easy to make ebooks as everybody thinks it is. But this is total nonsense. What they're basically saying is that they've got infrastructure. That empty warehouse that I was walking through, that is infrastructure they already own. If they had sold one of those warehouses, they could have bought themselves five code monkeys and a server farm. And they could be serving stuff right now. And how do I know that's true? Because without any code monkeys, without a server farm, I'm already selling tons of stuff over the internet. I'm already selling things electronically. And if I can do it, and I've got no programming skill whatsoever, if I can do it, they should be able to do it. But more importantly, and this is why they'll be out of business, if I can do it, you can do it too. Now, I have encouraged you in the past two shows that as you are thinking about moving forward, you're going to have to play with traditional publishers. And I, I absolutely, completely agree with that. My agent right now is finalizing a contract uh, with a traditional publisher to make things uh, available in print. But here's where we get an interesting parallel to the music industry used to be back when I was young, which was a long time ago, that groups would go on tour because if they went and gave a concert and people came to see that concert, 
they would go and buy the albums. That's not true anymore. That whole paradigm has been shifted. It's just been turned on its head. Now what ends up happening is that singles and albums or CDs or just buying the singles off of iTunes builds up a fan base who's willing to pay 90 to 100 bucks to go to a concert. And now the bands go on tour because that's where they make their money from the promoters. We're going to see that same shift with authors. This new series of books that I'm doing, we know, will come out traditionally, you know, one book a year for a set of three years. And as I set up these three books, within the stories, I've put some space. So there's probably, I think it's a two-year gap between books one and book two, and there is a five-year gap, five-year world gap, between book two and book three. Now, part of the reason I did that is because that was a demand of the story. The second reason I did that, however, is that this gives me room, this gives me space to do short stories, which I can turn around and sell from my website. Now, if you figure the royalty on a 10% royalty off of the cover price of a book, so let's say it's an $8, an $8 paperback and a 10% royalty, that means that for every paperback sold, I will make 80 cents. Under the current model, using just PayPal, which takes a whomping cut out of the first dollar, a $2 story will pay me a buck sixty-seven. So I will make twice off of the sale of a short story what I will make off of the sale of a novel. So now we're back to the, we, we, we've come this, this, We've come all the way around. Now I'm in a situation just like musicians where I want the novels out there to show people that this world exists. But I want the people to be intrigued. I want readers to be intrigued enough to come in and buy stuff off of my website. That way I make that money faster. I make it now. I've also talked about in, in uh, and obviously this is something that you guys can do too. So as you're planning your novels, think about what stories are going to go in and around them. Think about what backstory about characters you can burn. How you can uh, have things there that readers will be very, very interested in. And that's going to be critical for you. You need to plan in a totally bigger picture. Because what you are going to be able to do is while you are going to have material that goes out, you are going to also... Uh, be able to supply material that will be a virtual product only, will be available electronically and available no place else. You know, I said earlier that you'll be able to get more material. I know of countless writers, and I've said this before, who have novels that nobody has published. Nobody will publish, not because they're bad novels, but because they don't have a market niche. They're not an easy sell. They can't convince the buyer for Barnes & Noble that they want to take this book. And therefore, they're not going to. So this is something that, that now, those novels, an author can go ahead, he can do his own authorized version, and they can come out electronically. He can sell them to you as a PDF, or he can sell them to you so you can read them on your iPhone, or you can read them on your iPod Touch, or some other device like that. And so this is something that, that again, you have to bear in mind is going to be an opportunity for you. You don't have to worry about getting niched. 
mean, how many people have said, oh my God, I'm going to get pigeonholed. If I start doing this type of book, I won't be able to do any of these others. Not anymore. You know, we, the readers, know the truth. That when we find an author that we like, we go out and find everything that author has ever written. Publishers don't believe that's true. Publishers believe that they have a brand name. Publishers believe that if a book is a Random House book or a Tor book, you will buy it preferentially over any other book. And we know this isn't true. If it were true, the bookstores would be divided by publishers. And you would go into publishers and you would find authors. Or you would go into publishers and find subcategories. And then you would find authors. But that's not the way it is. The way it is, and, and we know this, the way it is is that literally... You go in, you find the subject area you like, you find the author you like, and it doesn't matter what published they're, they're being published with, that is the, the book that you will go ahead and buy. So now you get to become your own brand, which is what we always have been. I talked in a previous podcast about serialized fiction. And in fact, I've, since that podcast, conducted several experiments and will continue conducting an experiment in serialized fiction. The way it works is this. You come to my website, stormwolf.com, and on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, and right now it's been every other month, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, I post a new section of a story. The stories have been in roughly 12 parts, so it takes a month for a story to come out. And you can read it for free. You can absolutely read it for free. And, and I hope that I am getting that traffic, and the numbers seem to, to indicate that I am getting that traffic, of people coming in and reading fiction for free and and th that's great what I'm hoping however is this I'm really hoping for two things one I build a following I get to expose some people who've never read uh, my material before to my material and they will go out and they will look for books they will come to my website and they will buy material from my store uh, the other thing which I'm hoping for is that as I do serial stories, as I do stories about characters that continue their adventures, uh, once that story is up for a month and I take it off and I begin a new serial, that story is then available for sale. So I'm kind of hoping that somebody that lucks into this, you know, five stories down the line is going to turn around and buy those other stories because they're interested. They want to find out what else goes on. This is not, you know, this is not genius on my part or anything on that order. This is the webcomic model. This is exactly what guys do with webcomics, and they have been fairly successful in doing that. That they collect up the stories once the story arc is done, and they publish them as a, as a booklet. And I'm doing the same thing, I'm just doing it virtually. This is something that everybody out there can do. It's a great way to practice with characters. It's a great way to get feedback, and you get a lot of feedback. You get to see if people want more of the story or not. And it's a great way to basically get the market interested in what you're doing. If you've got a novel which is coming out featuring these characters, and you serialize a story which introduces people before the novel is out, and then you say, hey guys, go to the store, get the novel now, they will. You know, you provide a link to where it is on Amazon. They can order directly from your page. Or if you're going to go ahead and sell stuff yourself, they can order it and buy it directly from you. This whole market is changing, and it is vitally important that you understand that because it will dictate how you present material. 
just want to go over the economics of this stuff really, really simply. If I write a short story for an anthology, I'll probably get paid six to eight cents a word. So 6,000 word story, 300, 350 bucks, you know, something on that order. Uh, maybe a little bit more. If I have 600 people come to my website and buy that same story for two bucks, I make more and I make it now. Now, I should say this with the anthologies, you generally get paid right after you've written it, so that's cool. But this is, this is, suddenly it makes it economically viable. And the other thing is that, you know, a book that comes out is going to have to have thousands of readers. But for a writer to make some money, you need, well, actually, I mean, I've done the math. If 3,000 people will come to a writer's website, and spend two bucks a month with that writer after PayPal fees and all that sort of stuff, that writer will be making on the order of six thousand or $60,000 a year. They'll start to take taxes out of that, pay all their bills. I mean, everything is not pure profit. But $60,000 a year to be churning out stories for you, stories that are going to cost you, you know, less than a cappuccino. Stories that are going to take you half an hour to an hour to read. You know, two bucks for, the, for an hour's worth of entertainment, it's a bargain. And because we're going direct, because we don't have the overhead of the New York publishers, we're okay. And when the New York publishers turn around and tell us that they're only going to pay us 25% as opposed to 50%, which they had before, what are they really saying? They're saying they don't have the infrastructure in place to sell ebooks. And how are they going to finance putting that infrastructure in place instead of selling one of their warehouses, instead of selling a corporate chat? They're going to do it on the backs of the writers. Uh, someone else characterized this as corporate greed in its finest form. And you know, I, I can't disagree with that. It's entirely unfair to the writers. And they're acting, publishers are acting as if they don't need us. You know, it's, it's really funny because I... I realized the other day thinking about the big three car makers um, they thought they were all set because they had a totally vertically integrated marketing plan they produce the cars they have got all these suppliers who are selling only to them they produce the cars and they deliver the cars through their dealerships you bring them back to their dealerships for uh, wear and tear for maintenance it's a, it's a lovely vertically integrated model except for one part, and that part was gasoline. And once the price of that part went outside their control, they were stuck. Just think about it. If Ford actually owned gas stations, and when gasoline was $4 a gallon for just anybody, but if you drove into that station you had a Ford and you got it for $3 a gallon, boy, there'd be a lot of brand loyalty, wouldn't there? Well, publishers are doing the same thing. Now, it used to be that publishers had their own uh, retailing wing. They don't anymore. They've been trying to do it with websites. So they've got a little bit of a problem there. But basically, they were trying to vertically integrate. And the part that they're leaving out, aside from the retail wing, which obviously, as the Barnes & Noble story indicates, is hurting, the part they left out was the writers. They think they don't need us, um, which is really kind of ridiculous. All right, 
So that is this podcast on the future of the business, talking about some of the things that you will want to do. Where can you learn more? Uh, here's the commercial part of, of our podcast. Um, one, for those of you who enjoyed the series 21 Days to a Novel, I promised a long time ago that I would have a book out with uh, examples and with basically the scripts of those episodes. That book is available as an ebook. It's available from my website, www.stormwolf.com. Please come on over. It costs 20 bucks, and you can buy it. You can download it. Uh, it is literally a runaway bestseller on my website. Just tons and tons of people are coming and getting it. Tons and tons of people are buying it for the iPod, too, which is, like, way wicked cool. So we did it over there. Um, please avail yourself of that. As well, I do a lot more talking about the future of the industry and how to cope with it, how to tell stories. Um, I talked about having that serial story being serialized onto my website. If you are a subscriber to my uh, newsletter, The Secrets, you got the full breakdown of exactly how I do that, how I break it down into chapters, what the content of those chapters should be to be able to pull together a story that will keep readers coming back again. So there's the commercial section of, of, my, uh, uh, of my podcast. Please come to stormwolf.com and uh, avail yourself of the products which are, which are uh, on sale there. As well, I've got a bunch of fiction which is on sale there. Um, I would also like to suggest that you go to dragonpage.com because for those of you who wish I would be doing more of these podcasts, I am the co-host of the Cover to Cover podcast where we interview writers and we talk about a lot of these issues. So that is a place where you can get a weekly update on exactly what's going on in, in this sort of stuff and, and a little bit more timely sometimes, uh, especially when I'm you know several months in between, in between podcasts. In the last podcast, I also mentioned Second Life, and things are going very well in Second Life. Second Life is a graphically based chat software. For those of you who don't know, it is free to download from secondlife.com, and I get no money for that. Along with my partners and Farpoint Media, I have uh, a site uh, in there, a region in there, uh, and you can find it by doing a search on Third Life Books and Farpoint Media. Uh, Kat Claiborne, uh, who's Kat Alderson within the game, has done a stunning job of designing everything, building everything. The place looks absolutely lovely. We have a writer's group in there, as I mentioned earlier. We have uh, lots of product for sale. We have classes. We have readings. We have author visitations. We had an author in talking two weeks ago. Totally locked out the sim, and we maxed out our uh, uh, maxed out the number of people that we could bring in who could actually listen to things. These using the new technology, whether it's Second Life, whether it's doing things online, whether it's serializing stories, really is your window to the future. You want to become savvy in doing this. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. There's plenty of us out there who would love to help you out. Uh, that's one of the reasons I recommend coming into Second Life. That's one of the reasons that I recommend you go out, you take a look at a lot of these things, you network with other authors, and more of those opportunities will be coming forward. But as long as you stay informed, as long as you know what you're doing, and as long as you leave yourself open to the possibilities of what technology is going to allow you, you're not going to get sucked down with the dinosaurs that are the guys who own that incredibly empty warehouse. 
Thank you very much. This has been The Secrets. I am Michael A. Stackpole. Please join me again in the future. Join me on Dragon Page, and we will see what the future will bring. This podcast is copyright 2008, Michael A. Stackpole.